This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome, my geeselings. Uh, in case you're wondering why I just called you a geesling, it's because that is what I've decided to christen you, my listeners, since other podcasts, other podcasters uh, give cute names to their people. I decided I'd go with what I call my cat and dog, my geeselings. So anyway, this is the second podcast. Um, we've received a an overwhelming enthusiasm for the first episode with Heim Gaifman. And that was the royal we, just me. I'm not sure he even knows that it's published. But so for this second episode, I talked to my friend Ethan Hoppy. Ethan is one of my oldest friends. I've known him since I was 10 years old, since we were on the Mighty Romans in Chicago, which was our soccer team with bright orange. Copa jerseys. So we recorded this episode back when I was still living in New York in April. And it was one of the first few podcasts I recorded. I had just gotten a mic and I actually forgot to turn it on during the episode. So the audio, at least out on my end, is pretty trashy. But bear with me. So Ethan, I think of as the best person that I know, and not just in a moral sense, because he's he's very good, but also in that he's extremely gifted and talented in a variety of domains, and on top of that, a hard worker. So Ethan is a professional violinist and has been a, a prodigy with the violin for as long as I've known him. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do anything so skillfully as Ethan when he's playing the violin. And so my intention going into this conversation had been to talk about violin, but we actually didn't talk about it at all. Instead, we talked about his experience very recently in boot camp for the Air Force, which, I mean, you'll hear about throughout this conversation, but it's a, a fascinating story, how he ended up there, and the experience itself was fascinating, which is why we talked about it. We've since recorded a second episode that is more explicitly about the violin, but I'll release that later. So without any further ado, my newly christened geeselings, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. This is the artificial part where we both know the answers to these questions. Uh, but so you, you're in DC now. You have two master's degrees in violin from Yale, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> because of the pandemic, roughly, I mean, your trajectory beforehand was to be going into 
an orchestra, I don't know, New York, LA, something, uh, a more of a, a conventional orchestra like that. But during the pandemic, all auditions were really called off. And the first orchestras to have auditions were the military orchestras. And you got a really good offer from the Air Force. Is that, is, am, I, am I roughly on track there? Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, but, then, but then part of it, okay, go ahead. I mean, I wasn't averse to take a mil- taking a military job before, uh, before the pandemic, but more after the pandemic, it just looked like a much more uh, secure and reliable option, you know? Yeah, I mean, because they provide you a great salary and a guarantee. I mean, your jobs aren't going to fall through the way that in other orchestras jobs might fall through since you're presiding over um, government and military affairs. You're like their little drummer boy. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Although I am seeing more that we sort of have to um, prove our usefulness in some ways. And like the Air Force, just the way that the Air Force works is that like you always have to, um, they're, they're constantly evaluating and trying to, you know, improve the way they function. And so mm-hmm. the way that this transfers into the band really doesn't make that much sense with, with the way that music works. So like we, we do these um, evaluations every year and you have to put like how many people you reached and like the number of views that your videos on YouTube got and stuff like that as like, oh, really? as a way of measuring how successful you are at, at whatever it is you're doing, because they, they use like basically only quantitative measurements, you know? So the thing is we work when we're needed and when we're not needed, we don't work. We still, I mean, it's still like the normal salary, but like, this whole past month of April, they just didn't need us. And I was literally, I, I just did other civilian jobs, subbing with orchestras in the area and doing weddings like I was talking about. So you still got paid your regular military salary, but just got to do whatever you wanted. Yeah, I just got. Roughly. Yeah. So I, I, doubled, awesome. I doubled my salary for April because I was just doing civilian, you know, work. And not having to wait what is your title now are you officer no no technical sergeant so i'm I'm, yeah i'm enlisted Uh, you kind of like flinched when i said officer was officer like a higher ranking that you don't want to be mistaken for well technical sergeant ethan yeah master of paganini (laughs) technical sergeant it's kind of funny because like uh you know technique is involved in playing violin uh yeah uh I'm not an officer. There's there's two brackets, you know. There's enlisted, um, that goes up to E9, which is a chief, and that's the the highest enlisted rank. And then there's like another bracket that's officers, um, which goes all all the way up to uh, five star general, General Brown, the chief of staff of the Air Force. I played a an event for him a couple of months ago. It was pretty cool. That is cool, <laughs> but um. Yeah, so I'm an E6, which uh, is like, you know, two-thirds of the way up the enlisted ranks. And 
Okay. Normally, the thing is, though, uh, it normally takes people like 10 to 15 years of being in the Air Force to get to that rank. But um, everybody in the band, in this band that I'm in, uh, just jumps there automatically right out of basic training. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Pretty soon you'll have the keys to the nukes. <laughs> uh, no, not even the, no. I, I'm not, like, th there's a ceiling. <laughs> For being an enlisted, there's a ceiling. Like, I would have to um, go to officer training school, become an officer. No, you'd have to be president to have the keys to the nukes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, but... But anyway, so you were on this very formal musical trajectory and you, then you somehow got catapulted into the military. And what to me is so funny is that you had to go through basic training before you could be in the military band. And I guess, I mean, there's some possibility where I don't know what has to happen if Russia has to invade U.S. soil, but where they where they send you out there with a gun, but that seems very highly unlikely, right? Yeah, I, I, they're not yeah. going to give so, me a gun, no. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, so we talked. We've talked about this before a bit, but I'd like to talk about it a little bit more because you said some. I mean, your story about basic camp was interesting. I mean, you and I went into it. Well, I, I didn't go into it, but when you went into it, I felt like uh, I was part of your your squad. And I was expecting you to be on some awesome fitness retreat uh, where you were going to learn to use guns and do awesome like reconnaissance training and go on, I don't know, it's the Air Force, so maybe they'd send you to space on uh, some crazy ship. Uh, but definitely there was going to be obstacle courses involved lots of obstacle courses that's yeah. what i was really hoping to hear about but this of course was anything but the case well and yeah. you told me that 90 percent of your time was spent doing what uh folding my clothes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there was a whole booklet on how to properly fold your underwear and just uh shirts and stuff and it was it was really frustrating and annoying. Okay, so the obstacle course vision was also what I had in my mind. And so I was kind of looking forward to that, you know. But, uh, well, part of it was that um, because of COVID, they changed a lot of their protocols and just make, making things worse. Like, there was a combat portion that they did somewhat frequently with, like, um, you know those like sort of bars with pads at the end that you sort of hit people yeah, with? I imagined you doing that. Okay, so over some lake of lava or something <laughs> like that. Well, that was a, no with, minus the lava. That was a part of it before basic uh, before COVID. But they had some uh, like it doesn't make sense scientifically why they took it out, and a lot of the things that they took out because of COVID like made no sense, like. You know, because they thought we were going to sweat on each other. And that's why they didn't want that kind of contact. And it's like, we're literally sleeping like two feet from each other, like every night. And you're worried that we're going to sweat on each other and give each other COVID. It made no sense. Also, like when we were doing sit-ups, 
um, like they used to have you do it in pairs so that your partner would hold your feet down, but they stopped that because you, you would breathe too close to the other person when the other person was up. And it just, it was ridiculous because there's no way that if one of us got COVID, he wasn't going to give it to the entire flight. Like we were sleeping in these small rooms with 50 people. I got sick three times. I mean, not with COVID probably, but like there's no way that you aren't going to get everybody sick just because Mm -hmm. it was really gross. Everybody was like, I don't know. It was pretty unsanitary. So it was, it was two months long, right? Yeah. Three, uh, seven and a half weeks. And there were how many days of obstacle courses? <laughs> no obstacle course. So there was no obstacle course. There was no combat. It was really just marching, cleaning, and folding and refolding clothing. There was a That's cl- pretty yeah. much right. Yeah, there was a, a classroom uh, portion that we did. We went through this... Um, textbook they gave us that where we had to you had to learn things that I'm glad I learned it's like about the um, military structure you know like the order of the ranks um, so that you know who has you know who has power over you basically or just hierarchy where you fall in the hierarchy and um, uh, they gave us some uh, I don't know, like a very abbreviated military history. Um, that was like, just, I don't know why, you know, we spent like uncle Sam came in and he, he stole America from those evil engines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That they, yeah. they blamed uh, the politicians for why we lost Vietnam. That was funny. There was like nothing. There was never any problems, but, um, but it's just, to me, it's it's uh, fascinating just how different this experience was from how it's portrayed in the movies. Though I think you mentioned to me that somebody joined your flight who had previously been in the Marines boot camp, and he said that that was more rigorous and physical than yours. Yeah. But think- it still wasn't quite like the movies. Well... I think the Air Force basic training is a lot less physically rigorous than the other branches because just a lot of the people in the Air Force aren't going into combat. They're they're doing technical jobs, maintaining planes and stuff like that. Uh, so it's not really that necessary. And I could see it. Like, uh, I mean, I like the... I mean, there were kids. They were like mostly eighteen, you know, and um, yeah. that I could see like their interests were very uh, kind of nerdy in a way. Like we'd be we'd be uh, supposed to be marching, and we were on a uh, air force base, right? So planes would be taking off all the time, and they would just get so distracted, like just like staring at the planes and. Um, like debating each other about what type of plane it was. And I don't think planes should be able to fly. That's, <laughs> that's my theory. 
they're too heavy. It doesn't it, wind going above the the wings and below it, it just it doesn't make yeah, sense. It no. doesn't make sense. No, but so one thing, another thing that you told me though that was very fascinating was, and so there isn't this physical component. It's not like they're teaching you how to use guns or be an effective soldier. You're not learning about all of the planes. Your experience was that having you do these repetitive tasks over and over and over again was just a way to mentally break you down. And that this was coupled. It wasn't just that you had to fold and refold your clothing. It was that you were being constantly watched and examined and confronted by your superiors. And people, people were getting like inches from your face and shouting at you. And, and coincidentally, I remember now you had to shave twice a day because if they found so much as like a little bit of stubble, then you were being chewed out in front of everyone. And I don't recall how they punished you, but yeah, that's, that's pretty right. Yeah. Yeah. So what they were trying to teach us was, um, I guess, discipline in a way they were trying. The idea was that they break us down. And especially in the first three weeks, just like keep us constantly feeling, um, harassed and like basically dehumanized and i think this was pretty effective actually they were they they were good at it um so that this would be first of all so that they could see how we would react to being under a ton of stress because they wanted this moment and for most people that basic training is the most stressful part of the air force career even though you know it's obviously a very contained environment. You're not like at- most people also don't have to play Isai or Paganini. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to have to do that in my air force career. <laughs> no, no. Um, but, but yeah, they like the brainwashing is actually successful. Like you don't, you kind of forget that you're, um, in this place and the rules that they make up aren't real rules. And the way they yell at you, like doesn't really matter in the long run. So everybody gets pretty depressed by the situation and just sort of like gives up hope. And then that's like halfway through. And that's when they like, um, start trying to encourage you to like build a team and be bond together as a group, like, cause we're separated into like groups of 50 guys or people, well, of one gender, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah. So. All right. That was too vulgar. We have to start this podcast over. (laughs) There was a fitness aspect. We did do, we did work out every morning. It just wasn't very intense. Right. And how many people were in your flight or how many people you told me that you got second place in the final test? 
Yeah. Out of how many people? Like 700. Because there was. I know. So that amazes me. And the reason that you didn't get first place was because there was a track star who like blew you out of the water in the mile. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, the test. That, but number two out of 700, though, is still pretty phenomenal. In, in the introduction to this podcast, I'm going to mention that you're the, the athletic specimen of all athletic specimens. <laughs> <laughs> because <Thank> you, you. <laughs> are. <laughs> but the test was not, it's kind of flawed. Like the fitness test was how many push-ups can you do in a minute? How many sit-ups can you do in a minute? And then a mile and a half timed run. And, and the audience can't see that your arms are actually two inches long so that you can do push-ups very quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, the faster you do a push-up, the worse push-up it is, you know? Probably. So mm-hmm. it's not really measuring um, right. how good you are at doing push-ups. It's just measuring how good right. you are at, at like... Doing this test. Right. So, uh, I scored high enough on the push-ups and the sit-ups, which just meant like I, I faked them well enough, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that I got, you know, placed higher in the, in the brackets. Can I still publish this or will they realize that you're a fraud and, and dismiss you, <laughs> court-martial you from the military for faking your sit-ups too well? <laughs> no, I mean, like doing, uh... 88 push-ups in a minute was you can't do it like you can't do good push-ups if you go all the way up and all the way down it just takes longer than half a second you know so Mm -hmm. no i'm not going to get in trouble if i make that statement and and they are changing some of the fitness requirements um now because like like a three-minute plank uh instead of doing sit-ups because people some people like you know, have problems doing spit up or sit ups because of their <laughs> spit ups because of their spines. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh huh. So, so something from the movie. I mean, did you ever end up watching Full Metal Jacket? Like I suggested. No, not yet. It's on my list. You really should. You really should. But. And people have in mind this idea that the drill sergeants are constantly yelling at you, uh, cursing at you. But this was another comedic aspect of your military training. So can you say a little bit about what that was like? Okay, so yeah, they were yelling. They were yelling at the top of their lungs right in your face. But um, there's now more oversight and rules about what they can and can't do and can and can't say because there was kind of a scandal uh like 10 years ago about um it was a sexual harassment scandal because they have tons of power and over the were they using gay slurs i'm guessing that's what it was because that's what i think of in the movie in the movies like they're always using the word that rhymes with maggot okay so I, well, I think the scandal that happened 10 years ago was like actually they were raping people. So it was more. Okay, yeah, that's different. Yeah, it was more um, than that. Um, but so now like they're not allowed to touch us. So that's a big change because if you went through 
you know, 50 years ago, if they didn't like something that you did, they could just punch you. Um, and now like the most they can do to us is have us do push-ups or some kind of, a, you know, exercise as punishment. Or actually one time, one of the punishments was, uh, they had a stand at attention for, which was just like standing as still as possible for 20 minutes. And like, it was pretty hard actually. Uh, like I started sort of getting dizzy and having trouble standing up straight. Um, and my vision got blurry, but I don't know. That was just one of the punishments they came up with. Uh, yeah. So they can't swear. So they would come up with these ridiculous, uh, just outbursts that, that just, they would have to come up with at the top of their head. Cause they, they would work themselves up. They would, they would start like yelling so much that they were spitting and they'd be like, what, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what the chicken are you doing? You know, just like a random <laughs> word that took take place of a swear word or, uh, um, they would say, get the piss out of here or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes people would laugh and then they'd get in even more trouble because these things were just so ridiculous. Um, but the lengths that they would go to, to like make us afraid were, it was outrageous. This one time they, somebody in my flight had, uh, had not folded their laundry. They had run out of time the night before. So they just sort of tossed it in their locker and uh, we get back from whatever we were doing that morning and our um, MTI, military training instructor, he has the locker open and he's like, okay, we're going to have a conversation. So that's, that's his code for like, you guys are in big trouble, right? So he ends up working himself up with this whole long rant about how, how is it possible that this guy had failed to fold his laundry pop properly and he got so worked up that he kicked the bed like hard and the bed just fell apart just like com- came apart completely and and he would flip the mattresses oh my gosh he, that was a big one they would love flipping the mattresses and just throwing things um yeah so but some days so we had to make our beds like uh what was the phrase um tight, neat, and wrinkle-free. And every single bed had to be made exactly the same way with hospital corners, you know, like the edge, the corner of the blanket folded at a uh, diagonal. So there was like a very specific way we had to make it and all the beds had to be exactly the same. So they would come in and if there was like a couple beds that were uh, wrinkled or just not made really well, they would flip out like just toss beds over and be like, do it again right now. And there was one point they call them bed drills. We spent an hour making all the beds and then he would, he would be like, tear them up and do it again. And he would come around, make sure we had fully taken off all the sheets and blankets. And we did it three or four times. Just like, it was nuts. It was like, this is so dumb. I can see why it would really break you down, though. Yeah. Because it just feels like you, it would make you feel 
as if you're useless. Right. I mean, as, as if, as if there's no point in anything you do, if it's just going to be destroyed over and over again. Pretty much. So that was, I mean, the monotony of it, there's, there's just a lot of being bored there. Just being bored and being frustrated and not knowing why you're doing things. And so like kind of the way you cope with that is that you just do what you're told and you don't question it. You're just like, I have no voice and it doesn't matter how I feel about doing this. I just have to do it. And once I do it, then I'm just going to do the next thing. And that's the only, that's all I'm going to think about it because the more that I think about it, the more I'm going to get worked up and like, there's no good is going to come of it. So like, yeah. I'm wondering, is that at all how you think about your regular daily tasks? Because the way that you described that just now, it reminds me of my own daily routine in that I get up, I rock, I write, I work out, I do my studies, and I don't question any of it. Because if I questioned any of it, then I wouldn't do it. So Yeah, but you, you're the one that designed this daily routine, you know? You designed it in because, a sense. because you know that that is what you need to do each day to take a step forward in whatever your goals are, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. At that basic, is a big difference. At basic training... We had no long-term goals. We had no view. All Our only goal was just to get through it and then get out. Like basically our only goal was to graduate and just like not have to do it again. Um, so if you believe, like in your case, if you really believe like at a fundamental level, that what you're doing is for your benefit or for some benefit, then it makes it, it, it makes your lack of questioning based in uh, some kind of faith and truth. And in our case, that faith was just in the knowledge that if we questioned anything that we did, we were going to get chewed out. For me, though, and I imagine for other people, it's not as simple as the things we do are really calculated to move us forward. So I I ruck every morning with a heavy pack on my back. And... Rucking is like walking or hiking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe if I did it like three times a week for 45 minutes or something, it, it might be productive and help with my cardiovascular fitness and some leg strength. But I do it for 90 minutes a day with a lot of weight. And I think that a lot of what's actually going on is well, there's there's a number of things but i think part of it is it breaks me down in the same way that the military drills break me down so i am just not questioning what comes next i just get into the routine okay so i've done one thing 
then I can move on to the next thing and then on to the next thing. And so you're saying like psychologically, it just tires you out so that you're too tired to resist the inertia of your daily routine. I think that's part of it. I also think that, so it's painful and a lot, like it hurts my feet. Uh, I don't like having to get up every morning and do it. It takes a lot of time. And I imagine that part of it is self-flagellation for other shortcomings. Like it's some sort of uh, bubbling up of the subconscious or maybe it's vice versa, but I'm making myself do this because I I don't deserve to sleep in and sort of like uh, tossing the bed over and over again because you didn't do it right. So this is your punishment. And then another way in which it to me resembles what you've just described is there. I'm not clearly benefiting. I think I started off with this. I'm not clearly benefiting from doing it 90 minutes, roughing this much. Yeah. Yeah. It might be having a deleterious effect on my joints or maybe it's enlarging my heart because I'm getting too much cardio or maybe it's preventing me from recover or, preventing me from recovering or it's reducing the impact of uh, I'm not able to gain as much muscle or it hinders my actual workouts later in the day. But I'm still doing it because I'm kind of just blindly committed to it and imagining uh, I'm I'm sort of hoping that it's going to help me, even if it's not going to. And even if I know in the back of my head that it's not, I just can't stop because I'm addicted to it on some level. Yeah. Well, I there, don't know how that might tie into. There is a kind of uh, power that you gain from um, from pain tolerance or from uh, not making compromises with your body. You know, like peak mm-hmm. health. Peak health is a compromise with your body. Like uh, if you're tired, you don't work out. You change your routine based on how your body feels in the moment. But like that is a tough line to walk on a daily basis. And, um, and that that's a kind of discipline in itself. But there is a power that you gain when you you just draw a hard line and you'd be like, okay, up to a certain point, it doesn't matter what my body's telling me. Like, I just have to do this. And like, it doesn't matter if I didn't sleep last night. It doesn't matter if I don't like getting up early in the morning. Like, I'm just going to get up at, well, at basic, it was 545 every day, no matter what, and do the whole day. And... Um, there's no negotiation because that's just what I do. So like, that's what the seals boot camp sounds like to me. 
uh, because it is very fitness intensive. Yeah, and they're they're just made to do these tasks that are so physically grueling. They just they just get into a mindset. Okay, I have to sit in this cold water for thirty minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, and I'm not getting out. Yeah, I guess it was like that, but light version. Like we were sleep deprived, um, and they would wake us up at five forty five. Really just a rude, rude awakening. And you just get out of bed no matter what, like if you're groggy, it doesn't matter. You just get out of bed and you just do the activities of the day with no matter what. So for actually after basic, it did stick with me for a while of just that habit of getting up at five forty-five. like it's never comfortable. It's just like, um, something that you do and i sort of liked that power over i uh, that power i felt over my own destiny when i was like okay i decided to get up at 5 45 and i know i'm going to no matter how i feel um that's a kind of um strength that that i think that, that they were trying to teach you teach us so i i had a couple of final questions about this before i move on to some other topics but you mentioned like these kids i mean they're basically kids that you're with most of them are 18 near 20 you were you went as a 29 year old yeah uh, having gone to college and gotten two master's degrees and been out in the world playing violin for a bit so one thing that I remember you told me is like you would just be trying to go to sleep and they would be staying up for hours just singing country songs oh like from the bunk. They were singing yeah. country songs. They were uh they were quoting SpongeBob SpongeBob episodes <laughs> like mm-hmm. extensively. Like and they all knew these uh SpongeBob episodes and just like I yeah, I just had to go to sleep because some people that were trying to go to sleep and couldn't would would yell and that was counterproductive because they would wake everybody else up like yell to try to get people to quiet down and like just didn't work so i would put my shirt over my eyes and just like just try and drown it out but yeah the probably one of the hardest things about it about being there was being around um, all these kids that were having difficulties from just being young and maybe less mature uh, on top of having to deal with a really uncomfortable and stressful situation, you know? And why were most of them there, did it seem? Um, Like this was just the most viable career path for them? I think a lot of them, yeah. Well, for for a lot of people, you know, it's a good way for them to pay for education. And they wanted adventure and travel. Um, so, like, this is what they do instead of college. And a lot of them had uh, relatives and 
stuff that had been in the military. Like frequent, most people had relatives in the military. So like that was how they, they were more accustomed to it. For me, it's like nobody, I, I don't know anybody in the military. And uh, you know those portraits that they have with the flag draped in the background? Um, like my sister is so, you know, anti war anti-military that like if there was one of those military portraits in her house she would get really upset so like i didn't even uh get my portrait i was like just don't give it to me because there's nobody that i know that really is wants to see that (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah but it's 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 sort of complicated, like that uh, pride in the military thing, like to support people that are in the military while being against the military, you know. Yeah. So I know that some of the kids or some of the people you were with couldn't make it through for whatever reason. Uh, I remember you telling me about one person who had, he, he was kind of like sexually threatening in a way. And that he, he, he was always, he wouldn't shower naked with the other, everybody had to shower naked, I recall. But then he would always be like looking at people and, and staring at them and making them uncomfortable and then calling them gay and things like that. And presumably, I don't know, maybe he had, uh, Maybe he was gay. Who knows? But he ultimately, I think, if I was, if I'm correct, he got kicked out essentially by m- multiple days in a row, not cleaning his locker. Right? Oh yeah. So yeah, this guy was just really weird. He didn't fit in, and um, like he was constantly getting on other people's nerves or getting in fights with people. Um, by the end, they, yeah. So we had an assessment about how well we followed directions, which was like, we had to put our locker together, having all the socks rolled up and underwear folded properly. And all of our, um, uniforms folded and hung in the locker, like in a specific way. And he failed this assessment like three times in a row. Um, I mean, when it's a very simple test. Yeah. It's like. It's really not hard. You just have to put your jacket facing the right way and like properly yeah. unzipped. You just you just read the directions and then you follow them. And mm-hmm. but even on top of that, like if somebody like is just really not can't put things together to do that on their own, usually people in the flight will help other people. Like that sort of expected you help everybody around you because that's what a flight Mm -hmm. is and we were sort of a team but nobody would help him so like that's when our mtis knew because they weren't with us most a lot of the time they weren't there but they knew like we were we wanted him to fail everybody did wasn't he also doing things like you guys would clean the bathroom and then he'd go in and shave dirtily like everywhere. Yeah. He, well, and he wouldn't shower. So he got super smelly. Yeah. I, 
Yeah. So, okay. So he didn't like showering with everybody. I mean, we had, we had deadlines. We had to all, we had eight shower heads and we had to all shower in like 10 minutes. Usually our deadline was 12 minutes actually. And so we had to get everybody through those eight shower heads. So basically you had 30 seconds to shower. Um, and during those 30 seconds, you were like in a very small crowded space with 50 naked guys. You know, um, it was awesome. <laughs> so he wouldn't do that. So most of the time he would just not shower. And sometimes he would wait till everybody was done and then shower. And then the MTI was, would see like, okay, there's still somebody showering. And now we're all going to do push-ups, enough push-ups to sweat right after we just finished showering. So it was like, it just made the next 10 hours like a lot less comfortable because you know, we weren't clean and we would just not, none of us would be clean. So yeah, he would shave. The sinks had to be spotless. Like there couldn't be any moisture or anything in them, like right after we cleaned them. And so we would clean them. And then while we were cleaning them, he would go to a clean sink and shave. Like while he was supposed to be doing some other job, cleaning some, cleaning some other part of the dormitory. It was just like, like, he was working against us. So everybody was getting pissed off at him. Um, and he was just really uncooperative. And so like, yeah, we were like, presumably though, he could have, if he didn't want to be there, he could have just said to an, he could have just told some official I'm quitting, I'm leaving and they can't restrain him and hold him there. Right. But he, so it's strange that he would go this route of just for days, like sabotaging everyone. And for me, who, I mean, I wasn't there; I couldn't observe him. But I just find this case uh, peculiar because I wonder, I wonder if he was conscious of what he was doing, or no. if he didn't realize that he was repeatedly just fucking everyone. No, he wasn't. He like he was not self-aware. He had some kind of issues where he was always the victim of whatever it was that would happen. And he would never blame himself because that came up a lot. And, um, so yeah, but he couldn't like, he couldn't make his bed. He could not tie his shoes properly, but he was physically capable of these things. Yes. You, uh, I mean, yeah. he, he, you know, there's extensive physical background checks that we had to go through before we even get right. to basic training. So like he was able-bodied. Yes. But, yeah. and you, I also imagine that he was probably, I don't, maybe he did have a low IQ, but I bet he was capable of learning how to tie his shoes properly. It's just, and I just, the mind is so mysterious to me. I just wonder what one, like what's going wrong that makes him unable to tie his shoes properly in this situation and then also how it happens without his awareness yeah like he how could he not succeed at such a simple task he has to not he has to want to not succeed basically because it's so easy but then at the same time not be aware of it yeah i i don't understand he but he yeah. was really really frustrating to have to live with and do group tasks together with because because he was just really uncooperative 
and just like his personality was, I, I don't know what he's going to do with his life. You know, his personality was mm-hmm. just like such that it, it made working with him impossible, like literally. So, and yeah, he's out. That's basically the bottom line. They found, uh, they, they have a good reason to not want him as their employee. He's a bad employee. Yeah. 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 And he did, he did and, weird things too. Like the reason he, he didn't start out in our flight. The reason he started, he got transferred into our flight was because there was this masturbation scandal in his last flight where he was masturbating and then, uh, and then people told him to stop and he wouldn't. And then they called this MTI a female MTI. Oh, person. this was the same person. Yeah. I thought this was something. Well, I'll let you finish telling the story. Yeah. So he was still would not stop masturbating as she was te- came up to him and told him to stop. Like in in the night in the dorms. Yes. Yeah. In these, we we just sleep in bunks, just like no privacy. It wasn't like he was thinking that maybe nobody was seeing him or something. Right. I, this was, I think this was the same guy. I mean, there was a few masturbation stories that I've heard. Okay. But he, I see. I thought, I thought it was a different guy because I, in my mind, what happened was there was somebody that was masturbating. They call him the MTI MTI. Yeah. MTI. And, and he won't stop masturbating. And then they basically just carry him out and you never see him again. No. So there's a few things you get recycled. That's what they call it when you get um, pulled back a week uh, or or usually like three weeks. Um, So that is what happens. uh... Actually, you know what? It was a different guy. (laughs) It was a different guy. It was a different guy, but, but, they both got uh, kicked out um, of basic so, training. So this together. one got kicked out. No, this one. Okay. You know, you, you're right. He he didn't start in our flight. He did something bad to get um, recycled into our didn't, flight. I think he said something to a girl that was inappropriate. Okay. That yeah, that makes sense. But the masturbation guy, he did end up in our flight too, um, for like the last week, and then they got kicked out together. So that's why I was confusing them. And to this day, they're <laughs> masturbating together. As well. uh, yeah, that's 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 another situation. I mean, this masturbating character, this masturbating character. It's I didn't know him as well. It's right, but it's it's just a similar instance where if you don't want to be there, you just say, "I'm I'm done with this MTI." send me on my way but instead this person finds himself in bed like vigorously masturbating and even though there's 50 other men like yelling at him to stop he keeps going and then they call in a female instructor and he just can't stop uh it's very it's mind-blowing it's bizarre to me yeah but i think like they're basically high school high school students and like not oh yeah i forgot the times i did that in high school <laughs> yeah no I every mean... third period just couldn't stop <laughs> but like 
people do things in high school. Okay, that's an extreme example. But people do things in high school that just don't make sense when you're like 15 years older and you're looking at it and you're like, that has no rational like outcome that that you you could possibly want, you know. And like, if yeah. the thing that you want is to leave, then you should take more normal steps to do that. Um, people do really irrational things in high school and because they feel, you know, they like they have no choices. Like a lot of high school students don't, you know. It's also, to be fair, you and I are not spending significant periods of time with people who have serious psychiatric illness. Right. And it's entirely possible that the masturbator had such a thing going on. And I mean, you kind of yeah. would have to like you would have, I mean, yeah, it's something yeah, diagnosable, you know, but did you, you said that there, there's sort of physical hurdles you have to cross to even get to basic training. Are there also psychiatric evaluations? Um, not really. No, not, not as intense. Like they want to know your whole medical history. And so if you don't have any psychological things in your medical history, then they're not going to test you for anything that's not written down on paper already. So as long as you don't tell them. Do you know if they take people who have depression or anxiety or more common psychiatric conditions? They do because they do. A lot of people do, but but if you tell them that, then like if you if you tell them that you you know have thought about harming yourself or have um, had experienced like long um, patches of. depression then they that might be grounds for you not to be able to enlist because there was a kid in my flight that left in the first two weeks because they gave us like just a a written survey asking us about our mental health and he answered truthfully that uh, you know that he had, he struggled with depression and that he had thought about self-harm. And they, they didn't kick him out like he was permanently banned, but they made him leave so that he could have further evaluation before that he would be allowed back. But most of the people, like the recruiters, they're sort of like in a different branch so their job is just to get as many people to try and enlist as possible. So they sort of just tell you, you know, if there's no record of anything happening in your past, don't tell, don't say anything about it. And like, they'll just tell you to lie. Um, uh, just because that makes things easier to enlist. Cause like if you broke your arm when you were two and you don't have, um, you don't have like a record that it's no longer a problem on paper. It could take months longer to schedule with a specialist, one of their specialists to get your arm checked out and then get the paperwork. And then like, then you'll be cleared with that broken arm from like 20 years ago. 
So like, mm. yeah, there are complications if you, if you're a hundred percent honest at uh, the MEPS facility. And what was the food situation like? Were they giving you prime rib three times a day? Um, they, they had a cafeteria and it was sort of like a buffet style. Um, where you could eat as much as you wanted. Yeah. You could take as much as you wanted, but, um, they only gave you uh, 10 minutes to eat like every meal. And sometimes less than that because you'd be in a hurry and, and it is kind of hard to eat when there's somebody shouting at you, like from like a foot behind your head to hurry up and eat. Um, so like the first day, like somebody like was eating so fast that they vomited and and they were just like so freaked out that they just like kept on eating. It was God. it was really nasty, and I was getting nauseous too. Like I, I frequently got nauseous from like the speed that from I how fast you had to eat. Yeah, because there most people had to. They wanted most people to lose weight. Like um, I ate a four thousand calorie bag of popcorn in ten minutes, like two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't sympathize with you. Oh my god. That sounds that sounds rough. But it was it was psychologically rough, but my body enjoyed it. Well, this it, it this was not enjoyable. I, it right. wasn't like it wasn't like popcorn and stuff. It was just like normal food that Sometimes it was fine and sometimes it was not great, but it didn't, it was just like, like, are we talking like they'd have chicken nuggets and cheeseburgers and yeah, they had salads like that. and yeah, but there was one table for the people that were underweight, you know, cause, um, you, your BMI has to be in a certain, uh, uh, range. So some people were underweight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh. And they got us, they sat at a different table and got as much time as they wanted to eat. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they were... Was there also an overweight table? No. No, because... Um, well, some people would like... Like, you can't go unless you're under the, the BMI uh, maximum. But some people okay. didn't know... They were overweight, over the um, specific weight, like two weeks out before coming, before enlisting. And so they had to just lose weight like they were wrestlers, you know, just like lose a ton of weight. So this one guy, he said he hadn't had solid food for like three days before getting there. Oh, wow. And, then, and he was fat? I, he was he was too heavy. He was He was not like really obese but like he was you know two his bmi was over 30 or something yeah no it i don't know i don't remember what the the level is but yeah it was too much so he hadn't had solid foods he weighed in at like one pound under the limit but then since he was in 
like at the airport when we were going to uh uh going to Lackland in San Antonio, he just went to town, like just bought a ton of food and just like, you know, because it was the first time he could eat in three days, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally people lost weight because when you can only eat for 10 minutes, three times a day. And three times a day. And that was it. Yeah. Then. And yeah. It's hard to gain Did weight. Did you lose weight? No. I stayed exactly the same. But I was worried. What do you weigh right now? Like 155? Uh, I I was 167 the whole time. Okay. But actually, I've lost weight since then. I'm probably like 169. It's 160? Yeah. Hmm. Which is kind of normal. Weenie alert. What? I said weenie alert. <laughs> did, they, did they have dessert? Um... Because I, I, I wonder, that seems like it almost doesn't belong in this psychological torture chamber world. Like, they're just going to also have Rice Krispie treats and peanut butter cups for you guys. No, there was, occasionally there was some kind of like a, like a pudding, but okay. not like not enough for everybody. And it was. Oh, kinda, really? So they would run out of things. Yeah. Yeah, they would run out. And the, uh, the, it was kind of ostentatious. You had to walk over to the dessert display and, and frequently at, uh, chow was like, they had this whole table. That's of, what they'd call food time. Yeah. They had this whole table of MTIs that were there that were just there to yell at you. And so there was just a ton of yelling happening in the, um, dining facility. And so if they saw you going to the dessert, you know, that made you a target to get yelled at. And it was very uncomfortable. So people... So, like, what would they yell at you as you're just going to get dessert? Just, like, that... They just wanted you to feel like you were doing something wrong. They would they would yell at you. Like, it was very easy to not be wearing your uniform properly. Um, okay. And, like, that was a way that they could get yell at you or just for walking like at the wrong pace or going going to the table in like the wrong direction around the room like it was pre every everything about the dining thing was preordained um just like it was a system and if you veered from the system at all then you would just get just completely chewed out so all right. Last question. Were there any name brand prepackaged foods like Lay's potato chips or Oreos or granola bar, Quaker granola bars or anything like that? They gave us uh, granola bars at dinner that we were allowed to take home and, and actually eat in the dorm. And those were okay. um, K brand. like Special K? Yeah. Or Kashi? Not Kashi. No. Okay. So, yeah. There, there was one week that we did um, uh, deployment training where we left this facility and we went, like, imitation camping, basically. 
And for that week, we had uh, MREs, meals ready to eat, for every or for two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. And I found those to be just nasty, grotesque. Those are just. Were, like, did you say they were dehydrated or? The, yeah, they're they're shelf stable foods, but like there's meats in okay. there and stuff too. So, but just eating. I've never had freeze dried meat, but I should probably try it. Oh, it was gross. It was it was really really bad. So, and I was pretty sick that week too, just with whatever it was that everybody had. So that was a terrible week, uh, and I I couldn't like where I wasn't eating and yeah, there was one night that I couldn't really sleep either because I had guard duty like two times in the middle of the night. Yeah, so. I'm just glad every moment to not be there. That you're not there. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ethan. Well, we didn't get to any violin stuff, which is what I'm most interested in. And I thought that this was gonna this part was gonna end up being ten minutes, but it ended up being an hour, which is great. And even hearing it hearing a lot of it for the second time, it was still thought provoking. So thanks for talking about it with me again yeah. and hopefully soon we'll be able to do this and talk more about violin yeah good to talk to you thank you thanks Ethan.